All right, so tonight is, you know, you never really know how it goes, but it may be a little longer. I'm not sure. Uh, but listen, our text tonight, you guys, is going to cover almost every hot button issue there is. So that's kind of fun. Um, you'll probably be like, yeah, it's the Christian injustice tonight. Third part uh, in, in Leviticus 18, 19, and 20, it covers, we just went over culture. Last or two weeks ago was sex. That was a good one. This and that one. And then... Uh, Tonight is justice, the Christian injustice. So God in Leviticus is talking about many, many things. You probably will appreciate some, and you'll probably be a little bit offended by others. That's okay. Uh, it's the word of God. He's fair to offend us all. So um, we're going to read, we're actually going to read a few verses out of Leviticus 19, and then a few verses out of Leviticus 20. So you can turn to Leviticus 19. We're going to read the first 18 verses. And then we'll jump into Leviticus 20. All right, Leviticus 19. We'll read the first 18 verses. And then we'll jump around a little bit. And then I will pray. All right. Leviticus 19, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. I love he starts there. And you shall keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord, your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord, your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day you offer it or on the day after. And anything left over on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted and it will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. Verse nine, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. And then skip to verse 20. We're going to read a couple verses there. 
If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, assigned to another man and not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free, but he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin he has committed. He shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. Skip to verse 32. We'll read to the end. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. You shall not do wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have a just balance, just weights, a just ephah and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. And now we're just going to read the first nine verses of chapter 20. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourns in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And you said, God, that the one to whom you look is the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at your word. And God, right now, we just, we have an opportunity to to sit at your feet, to sit under your holy word. And God, I just ask that together we would tremble at your word, at your holiness. You are the Lord. God, you are in our presence right now. You are in our midst. Lord, would we fear you rightly? Would we honor you as holy? You are here, you are worthy and worthy to be praised. So we submit ourselves. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Would you bring truth? Would you convict of sin? Would you cast out Satan, Lord? Would you be with us right now in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, we as humans are pretty much hardwired to, to long for justice. It's just like what's in us. We long for justice. We hate when there's injustice. Usually we do. Unless uh, it was us committing the wrong, in general, we, we like justice. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a crier. Honestly, I don't remember I, like maybe five times in my life I think I've cried. Maybe something's wrong. I'm not sure. But, uh, but one, the one time I remember vividly sobbing, I was like seven and my sister, who was five, 
had, it was like a silly thing. She like threw one of our toys in the pool or something. And, um, and I saw her do it. And then my parents were like, why is your toy in the pool? And she was like, I didn't do it. And I was like, yes, she did. I literally saw her do it. And my parents were like, well, she says she didn't do it. And I'm like, yeah, but I just watched her. And they're like, sorry, I mean, it's your word versus hers. Like, we, like there's nothing we can do. And I was so fired up. I was like, this is wrong. This is unjust. Like, this is wrong. And my parents were like, we like, there's no way for us really to know. I'm sorry. And you guys, I literally started to cry. I was like, this is wrong. This is sin. This is injustice. My sister is getting away with throwing her toy in the pool. And I like, that's for whatever reason, that's in me. Maybe it's, I'm a little extra wired for justice. I think that's true. Um, but we all long for justice. The other thing is we're kind of, we're a little more subjective though if we are the one who's committed the crime, right? Um, like, driving is one for me. I am not a great, uh, I'm a good driver, but I'm not necessarily a law-abiding driver. Um, you know, I, I have the opinion when you're like speeding, you're like engaged, right? You're like, I'm paying attention. I'm looking in all my mirrors. Like I'm engaged. So that's my opinion. I think I'm safer, but technically I guess I'm breaking the law. Um, well, I used to work at a Starbucks on State Street and there was this police officer. His name was Scott. And he was, uh, he's like a motorcycle cop and he would come in multiple times a day and he would just sit on the corner. Like I would be working, look at this window and he's just sitting there all day long. And like every 10 minutes, he pulls someone over, just beep, beep, and like pulls them over just all day long. You just see it. And half the time you feel bad, but then you just see someone just blatantly just like running the red light and you're like, oh dude, it's coming. And then Scott pulls him over and there's just this satisfaction like, yes, like he got him. There's just, there's just something in there. But when I run the red light, I'm like, Man, I hope Scott's not around. It's not really wrong if Scott doesn't see me. Like, we're, we're weird with justice. We're weird with justice. And here's the thing. Humans, historically, we've failed at, be, at being fully and truly just. We just have. We, as humanity, we have a pretty uh, ugly history in how we've treated women, in how we've treated slaves, and how uh, religious wars would happen. Like, you need to believe what my God believes, and if you don't, I'm gonna kill you. Like, that happened. Uh, we've always been terrible and unjust to the poor. Um, and even now, there's a lot of suffering and injustice in the world right now. We know that. Um, and you know what? Like, maybe even you have experienced injustice on a deeper scale than, like, your little sister didn't get in trouble. Like, maybe you've actually been like wounded or sinned against or betrayed or stolen from or like really hurt and injustice has happened to you. And maybe you're like, man, that thing has not been made right. And there's just that sense of like, ugh. Um, the, the cool thing about our generation right now is maybe probably more than any other generation, we actually were kind of raised in a culture that loves justice, like that pursues social justice. That's actually a cool thing. That's something that is unique. That's not something our parents' generation or Maybe, maybe the 60s, but like, 60s are a little crazy. Like we actually, we, we care about justice. We care about the poor. We care about like sex trafficking. We care about justice happening. Um, like we were just kind of raised in that. We were raised to like make a difference. Even our generation more than ever has like, we want to pursue jobs that aren't necessarily just how can I make enough money, but like how can I make a difference in the world? How can I like pursue justice, social justice in the world? And that's, that's a cool thing. Um, the church has, has its own bad rap sheet against 
uh, and being unjust. But more than ever right now, the church is kind of getting this. Like, do you know what? No. Like, we need to care about the poor. We need to care about injustice. We need to care. Even like AIDS was a big breakthrough. Like, no, the church should care about this. Because the church was actually on the front lines of like, no, you're a sinner. This is what you deserve. And, and we're realizing like, man, but there's like kids in Africa whose parents have AIDS and now they have AIDS. Like, really, we're just going to condemn them? Like, we, we're realizing more than ever that we need to pursue justice. And that's a good thing. Um, but here's, here's what's interesting. Our generation, though we love justice on one level, like the, the deepest foundation for justice is we've completely missed it and un, we haven't recognized it. It's, it's kind of like the cool thing to do. We like justice, it's right, it's cool. Um, but, but when it becomes not cool, I'm pretty sure like that it'll be, it'll just move along. There, we don't have this foundation for justice and the foundation is talked about. We're gonna talk about the foundation of justice and then what we're called to, how we're called to pursue justice. And so the foundation is put forth in chapter 19 and like over 15 times, you notice this phrase kept happening. You notice what it was? God kept saying, I am the Lord. Don't trip a blind guy. I am the Lord. Honor your parents. I am the Lord. And he just constantly grounds justice in your behavior and our behavior in who he is. You guys, God, God is absolutely just, 100%. He's not a false judge. He can't be bought out. He can't be bribed. He is 100% holy and 100% just. God is just. And when God is feared and honored, justice flourishes. And listen, the opposite is also true. When God's not feared, true justice is not going to happen. It will not happen. And, and you guys, every, every orphan, every abused child, every slave, every, everything that is wrong that happens in the world, guess what? That's actually an injustice against God. Do you know that? Did you know when something wrong happens in the world, the ultimate wrong is against the Lord? Like, did you even know that? God and his holiness is where justice has to be rooted. Okay, here's an example. So uh, I'm, there's a John, it's only John Mayer playlist tonight. I like John Mayer a lot. Um, my opinion, he's highly underrated, but no problem. I like him a lot. He's a really good guitar player. Um, and he's releasing a new album. And um, so here's, here's an example. Let's say that John gave me, let me borrow his favorite guitar, okay? And I'm like, dude, I cannot believe this. And then I just kind of like forget about it. I leave it in my car in the hot sun. It's getting warped. Um, then like I'm just denting it. I bring it. I let Travis use it at youth group. Like the kids are just like beating it up. It's just getting horrible. And then I'm like, hey, John, sorry, here's your guitar. Okay, here's the question. Was the greatest injustice against the guitar Kind of, but like actually the greatest offense is to John. He's like, really, dude? That's my guitar. And you treated that thing like wrongly. It's the same with God. Okay, listen, every human being actually has a maker and a creator and they belong to somebody. So when you lie to someone or steal to someone or when you're lied to or stolen from, yes, some injustice has been like occurred to us, but God is the one who re who's really being offended. That person belongs to God. It's like John Mayer, like, and we're just messing with his stuff. That person was created by God. And so when someone's treated unjustly, that's an offense against 
God. And so if we really as Christians want to pursue justice, you just have to get this. We can't just pursue it because it's cool, because it's like what we're going to be like, oh, wow, you're going to do that in another country. That's awesome. Like the foundation for justice is the glory and the name and the holiness of God. That's the foundation. That's, that is the foundation, okay? And now once we get that foundation right, like the glory of God, justice is because God is holy. There's actually another layer right on top. It's the second foundation. This is one we're familiar with. It's this thing called the imago Dei. That's a fancy word, Latin phrase. If you maybe heard it, it means the image of God, okay? So the point number one, justice, uh, the foundation for justice is God's holiness. The second reason Christians pursue justice is because of the image of God, the imago Dei. And, and here's, here's why. When God created humanity, um, he, he made us uniquely. God, when he created everything, he spoke it into existence. But when he created humans, he formed us and made us unique in his image. And he breathed his breath of life into us. And when he made us, it says God created us in the image of God. And then um, in Genesis 2, he formed him, breathed life into his nostrils. The man became a living creature. So human beings, you have crazy dignity. Even if you don't think so, even if you don't treat yourself right, even if other people don't treat you right, doesn't matter what you think, you have inherent worth and inherent dignity that cannot be taken from you. You belong to and were made by and are in the image of God. Like that is a lot of worth. That's a lot of worth. It's the same with art. Like you can, uh, what's the guy's name who does all the weird like drops and it's all speckly? Pollock. Yeah, Jackson Pollock, right? So you, have you guys ever heard of Jackson Pollock? It's a painting and it just kind of looks like drops of paint. You're like, wow, that's cool. So I can make a Jackson Pollock painting, guys. Literally just, just some drops, right? But if I try to sell that, how's that going to go? It's not going to go well. They're like, oh, it kind of looks like a Jackson Pollock. Who made it? Bo Beckendam? What the heck? No, I'm not buying that. But if you buy a Jackson Pollock painting that looks the same as mine, it's like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars because of the maker, because of who made it. We were made, we have worth from our maker. And so all humans, every human being, regardless of anything they do, regardless of their race, regardless of where they were born, regardless of their bad decisions, they have inherent dignity to them. The person on death row who committed radical, crazy crimes, he or she has a crazy amount of dignity still. They are made in the image of God. That, that, that's, that's children, image of God. The poor, image of God. The alien or sojourner or refugee, image of God. And in Leviticus 19 and 20, God is focusing on the oppressed, those on the, out, on the outcast, the outside, because those are the ones who we tend to not give justice right? We know that. We know if you're famous, if you have a lot of money, if you're a celebrity, if you're a professional athlete, like you're going to get a good lawyer and honestly, justice probably won't be served to you. But if you're poor and if like no one really cares about you or you're the wrong race or the wrong color, the wrong religion, or you were born in the wrong place, you're probably not going to get justice because who really wants to defend you? That's how, that, God knows that's how it goes. People on the outside, the oppressed, tend to not get justice. And so God wrote in Leviticus 19, hey, I want you to care about these types of people. And we're gonna focus on like four or five of them. And the first one is this, the sojourner, okay? The sojourner. God wants justice for the sojourner. There's actually a lot of talk about the sojourner right now. Another word for that is refugee um, or immigrant. And listen, God is clear that we 
have to care for the sojourner in our midst. He's crystal clear. He just says, that's what I'm calling you to do. He says, I want you to share your land. Listen, this means you. You know, there's sojourners in like our cities. Do you know that? I want you to share your land. I want you to share your leftovers and your resources. I want you to intentionally make acts of generosity, like intentional. I want you to intentionally make acts of generosity to go out of your way to be generous to them. In fact, I want you to treat them as a native and they should not be deprived of justice. Listen, this is crazy. This is what we do. Wait, you're not a citizen here? Sorry, we're not giving you justice. That's like what we do. That's what we do as a society. And on one level, that kind of makes sense because it's like, yeah, that's not fair. They're not supposed to be here. But God knows, hey, they're not going to be cared for by, by many people, but I want my people, I want Christians, I want the people of God to care about the sojourner. And there's a deeper reason to that. In uh, Genesis, or ex, what am I saying? Leviticus 19, 33, 34, he says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall love him as yourself for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay, so in this context, they used to be sojourners in another country and God delivered them. So imagine you're like, oh yeah, this is awesome. We're no longer sojourners and all the sojourners, screw them. We're not like, forget about them. We used to be sojourners, sojourners. We're not anymore. We can do what we want. God is like, what are you saying? You were a sojourner and I rescued you. So you need to be generous. Did you know if you're American, you have a history of a sojourner Unless you are 100% Native American, you came here because people didn't originally were born here and they came here. And even if you were 100% Native American, they actually came from somewhere else too. They like traveled around. So we as humans, as Americans, we're sojourners. Uh, And listen, if you're a Christian, you are a sojourner. Your home is not America. Your home is not this city. You are a sojourner. Your home is in heaven. And right now, you're traveling for a short period of time on this planet where you do not belong. You are a sojourner. Do you guys know Jesus was a sojourner? Do you know Jesus was a refugee? Do you know Jesus was a Middle Eastern refugee? Do you know that? Jesus was a Middle Eastern refugee. Do you know that? Just think about that. Jesus was a Middle Eastern refugee. Uh, He left heaven, first of all, now he's like sojourning on another planet. Then he moved to Egypt and he was raised there for a couple years as a little child and came back. He was a refugee. He was a sojourner. Um, I don't really want to get into the politics of this. There's obviously many different opinions on what policies there should be and how you got to care for your own country. But I do know this. God says, if you want to follow me, you are called to be generous with the refugees and the sojourners. You need to care. And on the one hand, that's, not too hard. Like, I'm down to go march with the sign. I'm down to be like, yeah, I'm for sojourners and refugees. But here's one. Do you know any refugees personally? Like, do you know the name of a refugee in your city? Because there are some. Even a foreign exchange student, like, do you know any? We have sojourners here. We have sojourners in our city. And I just want to encourage you before you're like waving the I'm for sojourners sign, uh, go actually get to know one. And like, be generous with one. That's like a real thing Jesus challenges, challenges us to do. Regardless of your opinion on what the government should do, you are called to be generous with sojourners and refugees. So that's the sojourner issue. Jesus says, I want you to be generous with them in Leviticus 19. The next one is this. Uh, women. Women. Did you know, uh, this is kind of fun, in Leviticus 19 verse 3, he says, every one of you shall revere his, and who does he say first? 
Do you know this? This is kind of fun. Your mother and your father. Uh, that's kind of cool. God intentionally put the mother first. The, and, and listen, mother and father are held together. Why would you care about your mother? Well, number one, she's in the image of God. Number two, she's your mom. And she has authority over you and you need to honor and respect her. Did you see he starts and ends this chapter with like, hey, if you disobey your mom or dad, if you dishonor them, like you deserve to die. Like how about that culture? I would have been killed so many times. Just think about that. Even right now, right now I have like unreturned texts from my mom, unreturned calls and voicemails from my mom, right? Like we don't have a high value of honoring our moms or our dads, but especially our moms. Jesus understood that we, that women have been, and from the beginning of time has been oppressed and treated wrongly. Jesus knew that. Um, And the church has not done a great job at honoring women with the the dignity that they have been given by God. Um, Which, okay, so here's a quick little side question. Some of you may be wondering or maybe have heard, yeah, but doesn't the Bible kind of itself like condone oppressing or belittling of women? That's a good question. Um, And I can see why you would think that or why you've been taught that. A couple issues, polygamy, like what the heck? The guy could just have as many wives as he wanted. Like David had multiple wives, Abraham, multiple wives. Like these godly people could just have as many wives as they want. Like that's interesting. Really, God cared so much about you honoring your mom, but he just let the guy have as many wives. That's interesting, really. Okay, so what is the Bible? Is the Bible supporting polygamy? Number two, another one that comes up a lot is what about what people say the Bible has to say about women's roles at home and in the church? That's going to come up. Isn't the Bible oppressing women at home and in the church? I'm glad you asked those questions. Let me talk about them real quick. Um, so th- this will be hard to understand a little bit in our culture, but this is true. The Bible has been radically progressive and liberal in women's rights in nearly every single culture in the entire history of the world. Okay, I'm gonna say that again. The Bible, this book, has been radically progressive and liberal and like cutting edge and countercultural in honoring women in almost every culture, in almost every time. And, and listen, because the Bible's clear, so women, do you remember where women were created from? This is important. They're created where, do you remember guys, anybody remember? The rib of Adam, okay? That's significant. God made Adam, then he realized, man, this guy's not gonna do well, he needs a woman. And so he puts him in a deep sleep and he pulls a rib out of Adam. There's something significant there, the side. Okay, listen, he didn't pull her from his head, he didn't pull her from his foot, he pulled her from his side. And that's a really significant symbol that women were created equal next to but alongside men. Women have apps and women, and it says men and women, male and female, he created them in the image of God. Women are as in the image of God as men, 100% equal in dignity and worth. And, and that's so radical when in the culture this was written in, that is radical, okay? I just need to say that. It's always radical. The, the other thing, Genesis. When, so let's talk about polygamy. But what about polygamy, Okay. The Bible, so it was in a culture where polygamy was 100% normal. Not looked down on, that's normal. And the Bible, from the first conflict we see in Genesis, 
is putting forth, hey, you want polygamy? And it's constantly showing, look what polygamy does to families. And you can almost, it's been said, break down every problem in the book of Genesis to polygamy and to jealousy that happens because a man has multiple wives. That all the wives are like, wait, she has more kids than me. And then like, they, they're just going back and forth, back and forth. It's, it is not a pretty picture. The Bible is intentionally putting up, hey, that is not how I designed marriage. And look what happens. Look what happens when polygamy takes place. So the Bible is putting forth in its culture, this is wrong. In Jesus' day and age, Jesus treated women as equals, and that was radical. The fact that Jesus would even speak to women as a, as a rabbi was radical. He would speak to them like in public alone, like talking to them. And the disciples were like, what is he doing? Why is he talking to this woman? The Bible puts forth women who are like financially supporting Jesus's ministry. Like they, they specifically list them by name. These women, Jesus was like, his main donors were women who were like rolling in the dough. And he's like, hey, thank you, my donors who are all women, by the way. And I want you to see their names. Jesus showed the dignity of women. And then, listen, do you know what has led us to women's rights in like every culture? You didn't know this, but it was this book. Did you know that? Did you know that the Bible and the dignity of the image of God of women has been what has led like the, the rights of women, that they should be able to vote, that they should be able to like do all the things men do. So you just need to know that God is pretty progressive in terms of this. Yet, we now live in a culture that's pretty distinct from almost every, every other culture. We live in a culture um, that says, okay, yeah, women are equal, but listen, there's some things that we still want to talk about. We don't like what the Bible says about women's roles at home and women's roles in the church. So we're going to talk about that real quick. This will be a fun one. Let's think about this. What does the Bible have to say about women's roles in the church? And I want to be brief on this because there's many things I have to talk about, but I also want to be really clear what the Bible teaches on that. Um, and let me say this first. The church has not done this well. The church has not done women's roles and, and their dignity well. So if you're a woman and you've like felt that, honestly, I'm sorry. Like That's not okay. And every time the church has uh, abused or been unjust to women, like that's wrong. So what does the Bible say about the distinction between men and women and their roles in life and in the church. So first point, we've said it a hundred times, women are fully equal in every way, dignity and dignity and worth fully in the image of God. Women are equal with men. Number two, equality and dignity does not mean you have the same function and it does not mean you have the same role, okay? This is not gonna be popular, but here it is. Just because you are worth the same doesn't mean you function the same. And here's an example. Jesus. Did you know Jesus is fully equal with his father in worth and dignity? Did you know Jesus is God? Did you know that? Fully equal? But did you know that Jesus does not do everything the father does? And did you know the father doesn't do everything Jesus does? And did you even know this? Jesus has the full godness to him, and yet we know this about Jesus. What does he do? He says, I'm not grasping for equality with my father. And in fact, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to humble myself to the point of death on a cross. I'm full, fully equal to God. And yet I'm not grasping for that equality. I'm laying down my worth and dignity to save the world. And Jesus, in that radical act of submission, like who submits to his father, does something incredible. He saves the world. Okay, you know, women 
are told they have that same similar role. You are equal to a man in your worth and in your dignity. Yet God calls women, and it's, it's crystal clear, to submit to their husbands. Wait, is that because they're not equal to them? No, it's like Jesus. Jesus is equal to his father, yet they have different functions and roles. Just because you are equal doesn't mean you are the same. Uh, there's a couple practical examples of this. Women are fully equal to men, but did you know that men cannot be mothers? Do you know that? Yes, we know that. Do you know men can't bear children? Yes, that maybe that's nice for men, you know, but like we can't do that. Do you know men can't nurse babies? That's a difference, not in worth. That's a difference in function. And at home and at church, women have a unique role as mothers in a sense. They're going to have certain things that they can do that men can't do, and men are going to do certain things that women can't do, not because they're not equal, because they were designed differently. Uh, even this morning in my Devo, in 1 Corinthians 11, I read this verse. Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So God seems to have this value to like, yes, things are equal, but I love when they are willing to submit in this order. That's just something God did. That's something the Trinity does. They are equal, and yet they're always submitting to one another. So women are called to submit to their husbands. Um, it's important. It's not every woman is called to submit to every man. That's not a thing. But in marriage, women are called to submit to their husbands. You know what the husband's job is? The husband's job is to lead as Jesus led. And how, is, how, did, how does Jesus lead? He lays down his desires and his wants for the betterment of his bride. That's what, that's what men are called to do. Um, that's not an easy job. It's not an easy job. We're called men to lay down our life, to lead in sacrifice, to lead in I will not claim what is mine. I'm called to lay down my life for my wife. And the wife is called to, I'm going to submit to my husband as he does that. So that's been radically abused and radically used for men to abuse women, but that doesn't mean that what God has said is, is wrong. Anytime a husband abuses that, he's in sin. He's in sin. But that is what God has called wives to do. Now, in the church, it's, really, it's a really similar metaphor. There's called to be dads and moms at home. It's called to be dads and moms at church. It's just kind of like a really helpful metaphor. Um, the church has dads and moms. And again, not because men have more giftings or more worth, but a few a few qualified men are called to be like the dads at a church, the elders or pastors. Not because they're better or can do things better. Honestly, we can't. We need women. We are like not able to do it on our own, but we are called to be like a dad. And that's the role of the elder pastor. And that practically, just so you want to know, that's two jobs. It's I'm going to teach the gathered church and I'm going to hold authority over the church. Authority is like when someone sins, like, we just had this happen at our church. A pastor fell. The, the, the dads say, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's, here's the game plan. That, there's authority. And they're, they're the ones who are like, you, you can't work here anymore. That's like kind of the hard job of what a dad does. Listen, this is cool. Did you know women can teach and preach the Bible? Just not in that particular role. And listen, I wish we had more women preachers with all of my heart. When I see a women's Bible study and they're watching a DVD, I honestly am like, this is so dumb. This is so, why are we watching a DVD? 
We don't have any women who want to preach. And maybe it's because you weren't told you can preach. You know, you can teach the Bible. You can preach and proclaim the Bible. And you're called to do that. So please, if you have that desire, like, come talk to me. There are so many, there are so many opportunities to teach in the church. You actually didn't, like, it's, it's crazy. I hate DVDs. Please, God, may we not have to have DVD preaching women anymore. God bless them. Thank you for them. But... I just wish we didn't have to have them. Uh, do you know women can have authority? Do you know your mom has authority over you? Women can hold authority. Women are gifted in leadership. They can lead ministries. They can lead worship. They can do everything a man can do except for hold that particular role of dad at a church. A woman can exercise every spiritual gift a man has. Um, they're equal in dignity. They just, in this one little function in the church, that's what God has called us to do. It's not popular. It's like actually not, that's not a popular thing to do at all. It's kind of hard to be like, yeah, sorry, culture, but this is what Jesus says. But my job is not teach you what is popular fun, teach you what God has said. That's what God has said. Sorry if that's difficult or if that offends you. Um, honestly, please talk to me if you have more questions or if you're like, can you clarify that? Or you're wrong because look at these verses. I actually love those conversations. I promise I'll be really nice. Um, please talk to me. Please email me. Um, yeah, that's good. So there's women. Women, full dignity, equal to men. God says, treat women well, because we have not done a good job. The next one God talks about is slaves. And I'm just going to do this one really quick. There's a crazy verse in 19 verse 20. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, they don't have to be put to death. Like, wait, what are you saying, God? Are you saying it's okay to sleep with slaves? It's just not okay to commit adultery? That's a good question. And it seems so. And the church has historically used the Bible to defend slavery. Did you know that? That's some bad history to the church. Hey, no, slave, you need to submit to me because God made you a slave. Uh, there's verses that says, like, submit to your master. So quick question, does the Bible condone slavery? Uh, really quickly, what's going on in verse 20 is he's saying, you can't punish that woman who just slept with a man because she's not even free. Like, she's not free. It's, she didn't, she's, if, if it was a free woman, they die because you committed adultery. Here he's protecting the slave, saying she cannot die because she was not free. In general, the Bible, again, because of this image, this, this idea of the Imago Dei, that idea has been used to, per, to, uh, for justice to happen to slaves all throughout history. The Imago Dei is what has abolished slavery every single time. You guys, every other culture that doesn't hold the Imago Dei, slaves are like, it's, it's growing. But because Christians know, no, slaves are held in the image of God, they have been freed. Now, we haven't always done that right. People have uh, used verses wrongly, but God cares about slaves. His people were slaves. If you are a Christian, you were once a slave to your sin, and God is in the business of freeing slaves from their their captivity. It says, Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus cares about slaves. Next one, this is a heavy one. Children. God uh, spends nine verses in chapter 20 talking about children, specifically talking about uh, killing children, specifically talking about sacrificing children to false gods. God really cares about children. He cares about children. Um, did you know in the past 45 years in our country, we have killed over 59 million children in the past 45 years in America? For perspective, that's one-fifth 
of our population right now, just imagine one-fifth, we have killed our babies. And God cares about that. God cares about the killing of children. Um, And you know what? We're not far off from what they were doing in Genesis chapter 20. We said this a few weeks ago. There was this idol called Moloch and it had its arms out and they would heat it up and they would take their baby and they would put it on this hot idol and they would kill it. They would kill their baby as they sacrifice it to the arms of Moloch, sacrificing their babies to a false god. We sacrifice our babies in this country to false gods, to the idol of my rights, of my sovereignty over my life. That's a false God in our culture. Forget what God has said and forget uh, that this child has the image of God. I'm sovereign. I'm in control of my life and my body and I get to do what I want. And so that false God of I'm sovereign means I get to sacrifice my child to that. That's what we do. The false God of freedom, that's a huge American false God. I want the freedom that I want. I want the freedom to pursue the lifestyle and the career that I want. And so this baby is in the way and I'm gonna sacrifice this baby so that I can have my freedom. False God of comfort. Uh, I'm not willing to bear the stigma of a, of a single woman because that's the most common abortions happen with single women. I'm not willing to bear that stigma or I'm not willing to just bear the physical like, discomfort of, of bearing a child. I, like, I have this God of comfort. And so I wanna give my baby to that false God. Another one is the false God of inconsequential sex. That's a huge false God in our culture. I want to have sex and I don't want to bear the consequences. So when that happens, when there's a consequence, well, I'll just give my baby to that false God. I'll sacrifice it because I want my God of inconsequential sex. We have, we, we do that. This is probably the issue the greatest issue of injustice right now in our country. 45 million babies we've killed. It's, it's something like 6,000 every day that we are, are killing in our country. Um, now, I'm gonna address a couple of issues that are brought up and questions that are brought up. And I, I just wanna say real quick, some of you, even statistically, like in this room, maybe have, commit, have had an abortion. Um, or maybe some of you guys have like caused an abortion or paid for an abortion or like you were the dad of a baby who was aborted. Um, and I just, I love you and you're welcome here. Um, but this is something that's really important to God. So we're gonna talk about it for a little bit. Um, some people say, okay, you're a guy though. So like, what, this is a woman's issue. And I get that. Like, it's not fun if a man telling a woman what he can't even do not to do. Um, and to that, I just say, hey, remember the Imago Day? This isn't a women's issue. This is a, this is a, in that baby's in the image of God issue. And remember what's under the Imago Dei, the glory and holiness and justice of God. This is the God's glory issue. Um, some people have pointed out that the number one reason injustice happens is because we deprive certain people groups of the Imago Dei. We've done that throughout history. That's, that's where injustice happens. Where did slavery happen? Oh, well, they're not really human. So we can do whatever we want. When we deprive a people group of the Imago Dei, all of a sudden we don't have to feel that bad about treating them wrong. That's what we do. Slaves, you guys, the Holocaust, that's what happened. These people are not actually as worthy of dignity as these people. And so we can treat, we can rid our country of them. 
male chauvinism, man, women just don't have the same amount of worth. And so we can now oppress women. Sex trafficking, these are slaves. These people, these women, they, they don't have the same dignity. And so we can treat them how we want. And we do the same thing with babies. It's, it is, you guys, that is what we do. That baby is not a human. That is the number one argument. That baby is not human. Therefore, it doesn't have the image of God. Therefore, I can deprive it of its right to live. And whenever we start dehumanizing someone who bears the image of God, injustice happens. Um, And listen, the image of God isn't linked with your age. It doesn't like happen and then get taken away. Scientifically, you know, a creature is a member of its species the moment it's created. It has its own DNA. It has male and female parents. It belongs to that species. Same with human beings, you guys. The moment a human is conceived and it's one little cell or maybe it's two cells, I forget how it works, it has its own DNA from day one, its own genetic code from day one. Do you know what else? The image of God isn't linked with your abilities. This is sad, but it's often argued, hey, children in the womb aren't human until they're viable or they're not human because they can't feel pain or they're not human because they can't survive on their own or because they lack a certain amount of brain waves. And and so we just kind of say like, you're not human if this or if this or if this. Yet those qualities are not what gives someone the, the image of God. That's not what gives somebody the image of God. If you're a certain amount of intelligence or a race or your brain works a certain way, like that's not what gives you the image of God. If you are human, you have the image of God. And do you know what else? You can take those qualities away from an adult. Someone can be paralyzed. Oh, are you not in the image of God anymore? You don't feel pain? Or you can be brain dead. Oh, that person's not a human anymore. They don't have the right brain waves. Oh, you can't survive on your own. Oh, this person has a handicap. They can't take care of themselves. They're not human. Like when you start assigning the image of God to qualities, like we are violating the image of God. Abortion, man, it's not fun to talk about, but it's, it's something God really cares about, something he really actually cares about. And I would say it's, it's the greatest injustice of our time. Um, even just listing out these different injustices, uh, there's a lot of shame connected with that. There's a lot of shame connected with, I, I know like all of us are guilty of different injustices at different levels, um, maybe especially, specifically with abortion or sex. But like when we hear about justice, instantly what Satan does is he just starts assigning shame. He starts assigning shame to us. Um, and I just want, I want to remind us of this. God is fully just and he is fully holy and he is fully righteous. And every one of us have sinned against him in many ways, pretty much from like the day we were born. We have all committed radical injustice and God cares about that. And some people have said, man, do you know what the worst part of Christianity is? This is one of the most common things that a Muslim would say about Christianity. That God isn't just. Because what does God do? He just says, oh, I forgive you. All your sins, all the things you've done, let me just sweep it under the rug. I forgive you. That's a real like claim against Christians. Like, man, Christianity is it's ridiculous. It's not fair. It's not just because people just get away with their sin. People just get away. If you were Hitler and at the last day, you're like, oh no, I'm sorry, God. Like what? Is that really justice? And here's the thing, we all have committed injustice against God and God is perfectly just and he will not let a single sin, he will not let a single sin go unpunished. But the beauty of 
following Jesus, and, and you, some, of, some of you know this, is Jesus shows up and says, hey, I will take your justice. I will take your punishment. I will take all that you deserve because you were unjust. I will take it on my shoulders. Jesus was perfectly just, perfectly obedient, deserved to just be enthroned in heaven. And yet he humbled himself and said, you are guilty, but I'll take your place. It was as if there's a courtroom and we've committed so many sins that we are condemned to death. And Jesus says, nope, I'll take their place. They can go free. That's insanity. And that's what Jesus does for sinners like you and me. And it doesn't matter if you're a crazy sinner or a really godly, self-righteous sinner. Jesus says, if you come to me, justice will be served because I will be punished. I will take the wrath of God. I will take the full wrath that you deserve for your sin and I will be punished in your place and you will be declared guiltless and shameless and justified. You guys, we have been unjust and yet Jesus has come to me and I will take the punishment you deserve. And so God's justice meets his love on the cross. God says, I will serve my justice. But if you come to me, Jesus, my son, will take your punishment and I will extend grace to you. Jesus gets our justice and we get the grace of God. That's what Jesus says. He says, come to me. And now the other thing I would say is some of you are like, yeah, but like I've been sinned against and what those people have done to me, like if you understood what they've done to me, like that, I need justice to happen to them. And that's like real and that's raw. And I want you to know this, Jesus is gonna make things right. Jesus is gonna make things right. He's gonna make things right either two ways. Either that person will repent and confess of their sins and Jesus will be punished for them. Or if they don't come to Jesus, there's another judgment that's coming, you guys, because God is perfectly just. And whoever has not trusted in Jesus will suffer the full wrath that they deserve for their sin. And that actually lasts for eternity in hell. But listen, justice is not in that sense. If you've been sinned against, God says, hey, trust me with justice. Vengeance, justice, it's mine. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. When we hold in our heart that like, no, I need to be God. I need to sit on that judgment seat and judge other people for what they've done. Like it's something twisted that happens to us. And God says, if we do that, we don't understand that we've been forgiven, that we sinned against God and he forgave us. If we can't get off our judgment seat, it means we have not been forgiven. We don't understand the grace of God on our behalf. And so I know that we have been wronged, radically wronged. Yet we haven't been wronged to the extent that we wronged God. And God says, if you come to me, my son will take your punishment and will take your place. And now I want you to forgive those who have sinned against you, even if they don't deserve it, because you didn't deserve my love. Trust me. And, and the wrongs that have been happened to you will be made right in my kingdom because I am fully just and I am fully holy and, and, I, and I love you. And here's the last thing I would say. Some of you guys, and God bless you, and this is awesome. Some of you guys are just like about justice. Like I'm a justice person. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to pursue. I'm going to go to other countries and pursue justice. There's a t special temptation for you, and this is in me. We, we want to be justified by our acts of justice in the world. And that's a huge temptation. When we want to pursue, I want to go do this for God. I want to seek justice in the world. Listen, we need to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to do this, but my acts of justice don't save me. The blood of Jesus saves me.
I want to pursue justice. I want to care for the poor. I want to love people. It doesn't make me right with God, though. And in fact, the reason why I pursue justice is because Jesus took my punishment. And I want to go extend that love and that forgiveness and seek justice because of what God has done for me. And there's a trap, you guys. There's a trap for our generation. And it's, man, I'm going to pursue justice. And, and I'm going to feel really good about myself when I do it. And that's what makes me right with God. And you know what sucks about that? The day that you don't share your money with the homeless person, it's just guilt and condemned. And man, I'm not right with God anymore. Listen, we can't pursue justice as an act, as a desire to justify ourselves. That's just not what's going to, you will burn yourself out. Only the blood of Jesus makes you clean. Only the blood of Jesus is what justifies you. And the, la- the very last thing is this. We pursue justice, but there's something else we pursue. The greatest thing you can do to someone is not just make sure they get justice. It's make sure they get Jesus. The Bible says, hey, pursue justice, but I also want you to tell them about me. I also want you to, them to know what I've done for them. Because if all we do is free people of their suffering for a, a short period, but then they suffer for eternity, like what have we done? We've done a, a good thing here, but like we've not loved and serve them the best way possible. And so pursue justice, pursue like all these things that are wrong in the world, but make sure you're willing to go as a Christian who's been loved and forgiven and is willing to share the good news of Jesus as you go. And so I'm gonna, we're gonna have some time for worship and there's a couple things we should think about. And it's, the first one is this, let's just sit and remember that Jesus took our justice. Jesus took our place. Jesus was punished for us. We have communion where we can remember Jesus was broken for us. And let's remember he, he loves us. Uh, number two, we're gonna have prayer teams to like, I know some of you are carrying some guilt right now of some things you've done to people. Like come get prayer, come share that with somebody. We would love to pray for you. And then third, let's, let's worship the one. Let's worship the God who is perfectly holy and perfectly just and can make us clean. So Jesus, we thank you for who you are and that you are the God of justice and holiness and righteousness. And yet you've made a way for us, sinners, those who have not been just. Jesus, I pray that right now we, could, um, we can lay down all of our attempts to justify ourselves. Lord, that we can lay down um, the things that we've been hiding, the things we are feeling guilty about, and we can be willing to give them to you, Jesus. You're worthy of our worship right now. You've saved us. You've rescued us. God, if there's some bitterness or some, some, some anger that, man, we've been treated wrong, would we be willing to give that to you right now, Jesus? Would we be willing to trust you with justice? And would we forgive, God? Would, would you expose and reveal roots of bitterness in our hearts? Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us, God. Pray that we would worship you now, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill this room? Would we pursue the God who has pursued us first? Would we worship you now.